0: Hello, and welcome to Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Today, Pastor Todd leads us through the key scriptures about spiritual gifts. He clears up the confusion that many folks have. What are spiritual gifts for? When and how do we operate in them? Let's listen in. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information.
1: Hey, uh, last week... Uh, We took some time to talk about salvation, water baptism, and a baptism with the Spirit. Uh, And this morning, I want to follow up, uh, and and we're going to go a little old school, in that I want to do a review, and then we're going to step into the Bible and go verse by verse through three chapters. So get your Bible out and get ready. So I'm going to start this way in the realm of a quick review. Last week, we looked at John chapter 20. Jesus has been crucified. The uh, followers, the disciples are all hiding in a locked room in fear of the Jews. And he shows up. And in John 19, 20 uh, and 21, it says this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I also sent you. Look at 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So this entire group on the day of his resurrection in that evening received the Holy Spirit. Then we move forward into Acts chapter 1 verse 3. To these, he, Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the father had promised. Let me say that again. Wait for what the father had promised which he said, you heard from me. What the father promised, you heard it from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Quickly, let's go over the chronology. He is crucified. He is risen on the first day of the week. That evening he meets with the disciples. He said, here, take the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to spend 40 days with you, Jesus says, teaching you, showing them himself in the scripture with many convincing proof. And then he's going to ascend. But at his ascension, he says, wait in Jerusalem for what the father has promised because you heard that John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Are oh, you got the picture? They have the Holy Spirit, but he said, now you got to wait until what the father promised, which is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we move forward to Acts two thirty-seven. The gospel has been presented. Now, when they heard this, the audience, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Watch. For the promise what was the promise that you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit? For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for as many as the Lord God will call to himself. Are you hearing this? They had the Holy Spirit on day one. On day 40, they were told, you stay in Jerusalem until what was promised is coming, for you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that happens. And then they get up and preach the gospel and say, that promise of being Baptized to the Holy Spirit, it's for you, it's for your children, it's for those who are far off, and it's for anyone that God calls to Himself. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but that means the baptism of the Holy Spirit is here for us today. And we witnessed it last week. We saw it happen last week. People got baptized in the Spirit, with the Spirit, last week in this place. And what happens when you get baptized with the Spirit? Well, on Acts, in that day, on the day of Pentecost, people began to speak in tongues. There was a boldness that came over them. You have to remember that Peter was the same guy that denied Jesus Christ three times. Out of fear, and is now standing up in front of the same crowd and saying, You crucified Jesus, it's on you. But it's okay, it was all a part of God's plan. There's a boldness that came over him. There are things that happened. We saw in the scriptures last week in four different occasions where people began to prophesy because they got baptized with the spirit. They began to speak in tongues. So some of you got baptized with the spirit last week, and I want to begin teaching you the journey of what that means, what that gifting looks like, what has just come upon you and how it gets released. So I want to go straight to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to walk verse by verse through chapter chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Y'all ready, we'll be done about four o'clock, but you'll be very, very <laughs> educated by the time we get to the end of it. I'm gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, this is what we get with the baptism of the Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be unaware, for you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, you were lit. I don't want you to be confused about these gifts of the Spirit because you got led astray by the pagans before. So I want to make it clear to you. 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, don't miss this, no one speaking by by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of God, says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Why is he telling them this? Because they were led astray before. But he says, listen, if it's coming from the Spirit of God, that person cannot say Jesus is accursed. They can't. So be sure what you're hearing, and if someone tells you, no, Jesus is accursed, then that's not coming from the Spirit of God. And no one can actually say Jesus is Lord unless they're doing it by the Spirit. Otherwise, it's just words coming out of their mouth. But from the Spirit, you can say Jesus is Lord. Now, there are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ministries. I'm sorry, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord, and there are a variety of effects, but the same God. Now, I don't have time to break it down in the difference of a ministry, a gift, and an effect, but you will see it when we go through. But the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the key verse in the entire chapter. You are given a gift. That gift is a manifestation of the Spirit, and you get that manifestation of the Spirit so that you can help the church body. It is for the common good of the church. It is not for your recognition. It is not for your ministry. It's not so you can get attention. It's so that you can benefit the common good of the church. Yeah. For the one is given a word of wisdom through the spirit. I'm going to go fast. So y'all listen fast. A word of wisdom is that drop the mic moment. It's that revelation in scripture. It is that thing that you can't refute because it's truth. You hear it and you say that solves all the problems that gives me the answers I need. Now I understand it. That is a word of wisdom. Uh, the uh, uh, through the spirit. Another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. What's a word of knowledge? A word of knowledge is you know something you should not know. You don't know how you got to know that, but you got to know that you're dealing with someone and you look at them and you say, are you having a problem with your liver? Yes. How did you know that? The spirit just told me I got a word of knowledge. Let's pray over your liver. Yeah. Uh, that's the word of knowledge uh, to another one. Faith by the same spirit. I love these people, the people who have the gift of faith. Nothing is impossible. Everything is a go. Let's go. Let's move. Jesus will provide. I got to have those people around me. If you don't have those people around you, you get discouraged, and you wonder if God can actually come through and supply, but they're there to say, sure he can. That's no problem for God. You'll see in a minute how that works out for the common good. To another, gifts of healing. Yes, there are people who have the gift of healing. We call on those people and say, go pray, go lay hands on these people because you have a gift of healing by one spirit. Another, the effecting of miracles. I think that's the coolest, broadest, open case thing. Miracles. Miracles can happen in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You can be suffering financially and someone can say, I'm going to pray something miraculous happens in your your finances this week. And tomorrow you get a check from a rebate. You didn't know what was coming that covers the bill. And it's just miraculous. Oh, it did not happen because of coincidence. And to another prophecy, what is prophecy at the core, at the base without breaking it down into its different components for the purpose of today's conversation? It is you being a mouthpiece for God. God has a message to deliver and he's going to deliver it through you. To another distinguishing of spirits. This, you've heard me say many times, there is no gift of discernment. There is a gift of distinguishing spirits. I'm telling you there's something evil working in that person. I'm telling you their motives are not right. I'm telling you that person is pure and righteous and holy in what they're doing. There's a distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues Don't have time to preach on tongues today, but let's just say there are tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Just in a nutshell, there is a language you're speaking that you are gifted that you don't know what that language is. Now listen to me. I think there is an open door here to understand that in the earth today on this planet, there are 6,500 identified languages. So you see in Acts chapter two, when they began to speak in tongues, they didn't know that language, but they began to speak that language, but it was the language of the 15 different uh, tribes that were there, the 15 different languages. So I believe tongues can be a language that you and I don't know, but we're speaking a language that someone else can hear, or there is an angelic language. There's a spiritual language. And I'll show that to you in a minute as we go, man, I hope you're listening fast. But one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each individually. Watch, just as he wills. Guess what? You don't get to pick. He decides what you have. Well, I want to be able to do this. It doesn't matter. That's not what he's called you to do. Work in the giftings that he's given you to work in. For even as the body is one, it has many members, not a complicated concept for us, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, they are one body, so it is in Christ, so it is in the church, we are one body, by one spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, we were all baptized into one body, whether you are Jew or Greek or slave or free, we're all made to drink of one, capital S, Holy Spirit. For the body is not one member. Shock and awe. You're not one member of your body. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's not that... uh, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Why is he saying that? Because there are people who look and say, well, I'm not gifted like they are. Well, I can't do what they do. I can't get up in front of an audience. I can't speak out loud. Listen, he's gonna explain why you're so important and valuable. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one in this body, just as he desired. Listen, if everybody was a preacher, you'd be in sad shape. If everybody had the same gifting, we wouldn't be a body and we wouldn't need each other because I have what you have. Why would I need you? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If all were one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or against the the again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now what he's done, he's gone from the side of saying, I can't say because I don't have the gifting you have that I'm not part of the body and I'm not valuable. So he's addressed the one side saying, no, 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 you're important. Now he's going to the other side and saying, you can't say, because they're not a hand, because they're not an eye, because they're what other, they're not a part of the body. He's saying, you can't in either direction say the other person is unnecessary or unneeded. We are all needed as a body. And then he says, You know what? There are less parts. There are parts that maybe don't. I love the way the NSB says it. For those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow a more abundant honor. Our less presentable members become more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God was so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member that lacked, so that there would be no division in the body, so that the members may have the same care for one another. What is he saying there? He's saying not all parts of the body are visible, but they're all necessary. You know what I mean when your gallbladder goes bad. You know what I mean when your pancreas goes defunct. All of a sudden, I don't see those things. I don't know where they are. I don't exactly know what that gallbladder even does. But buddy, when it goes bad, I'm hurting. I'm down. How many of you have done the pinky toe on the corner of the table? Woo! It may seem like a lesser member, but it will control the whole body when it goes that way. That's rough stuff. And he's saying, I don't care if you're a pinky toe or you're a gallbladder. If you ain't working, we're in trouble. 26. For if one member suffers all the members suffer with it, pinky toe. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Love seeing other people's gift at work. Love it because it's benefiting the common good. Now you are Christ's bodies and individually members of it. Now he goes into 28 and he begins to expand the conversation. It actually ties back to Ephesians 4. You remember we started by saying there are certain gifts and there are certain ministries and there are certain effects. He begins to draw those together now in this verse. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and prophets and teachers. Now if you go back to Ephesians 11, it talks about the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and whatever evangelist. Uh, and then he says, you've got first apostles, prophets, their teachers, then miracles, gifts, helps, healings, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Now look at 29, because I think we're going to bust a bubble for some of you. All are not apostles, are they? Let me tell you, all are not apostles. Apostles are builders, they're planners, they're they're organizers, they're structure builders, they're set things in place. All are not prophets, are they? Used as a mouthpiece for God, bringing you that word so that the apostle knows where to go and what to do. All are not teachers, are they? Have you ever sat under a bad teacher in college? Ugh, all are not teachers. Uh, All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues. Uh Uh-oh. All do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? What did he just say? Everybody doesn't have every gift, so you can't use tongues as evidence of a baptism with the Spirit. Because you can be baptized with the Spirit and operate in a different gift because not everybody will get tongues. Write me an email later. We'll debate it. 31. (laughs) but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now this throws a concept ball in here. What a minute, all of a sudden there are gifts that are greater, there are gifts that are greater than the Holy Spirit gifts. How do we know which gifts are greater and which gifts are lesser? Didn't he just say we're all equal and we're all needed? Listen, the answer to that question, he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. You're in 1231. If you were to jump to 1313, it says, but now there is faith, hope, and love abide in these, but the greatest of these is love. Love. The greater gift that he's talking about is love. Let me show you. There are not chapters in this original letter. In the original letter, he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts and I'll show you a more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong and symbol. Did you see it? He said, work in the greater gifts. You got to work in love. It's not a separate chapter. It's not a separate thought. It's a continuous thought. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries, I believe that's the word of wisdom, and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I gave all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrendered my body to be burned and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. What is he saying? I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how well you can speak the truth. If you can't speak the truth in love, you don't have an audience. Oh, let me say that again. If you cannot speak the truth in love, you do not have an audience because they will not listen. So he does this beautiful thing of defining love for us. If you're working in love, love's patient, and it's kind, and it's not jealous, and it doesn't brag, and it's not arrogant. And I I don't know about you, but every time I read this list, what I'm thinking of is the fruit of the Spirit. Are you noticing the parallel between the fruits of the Spirit and love? Love is patient. Love is not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it doesn't take into account wrong, suffer, it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with truth because it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And then we enter a section of scripture because I can't teach on love today. We enter another section of scripture where all of a sudden interpretation gets messed up and creates dominations and divisions in the church, but we're gonna go through it quick and hopefully explain it. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, you'll be done away with. Boom! So we grab a hold of this thing and say, see, tongues has gone away. See, there's no prophecy. Those things have all ceased, they've all gone away. But let him define when they go away. Because he says in nine, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, these partial things will be done away with. So now we're thinking, okay, these gifts Prophecy and knowledge and tongues, they're going to go away when the perfect comes. So we have to define what the perfect is. Let him do it. When I was a child, I used to think like, speak like a child, uh, like a child, or reason like a child, and uh, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, he just set a picture. He said, when you're a kid, you need kid things. But when you're an adult, you no longer need kid things. What is he talking about? We're talking about the gifts. So there has to be a time when we would no longer need the gifts. And the time that we would no longer need the gifts where we became mature is when Christ, the perfect, returns. Amen. Hear me out. Watch it as it goes. Uh, Christ is described five times as the perfect in Scripture. Verse 12, now, today, while I'm a kid using these gifts, I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're not talking about the New Testament. We're not talking about the canonization of the Bible being the perfect, and once the Bible's in play, we no longer need gifts. No, he's saying there will be a perfect that comes, and that perfect I will see face to face, and when I see that perfect face to face, I will no longer need the gifts, For now I know in part, and I will know fully just as I have been fully known. There will become a time when I am mature that I will fully know and be fully known. Does anybody today fully know? studying this word for the last 30 years. I feel like I'm just touching the surface and trying to figure out what's actually there. I don't fully know, but when Christ returns, listen to me. I won't need a gift of prophecy. It's already fulfilled. I won't need a gift of knowledge. I will fully know. There are things that he's saying here that when the perfect comes, when Christ returns, gifts go away. But until that point, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it in a minute. Until that point, the church still uses the gifts. Verse 13, but now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these of love. So what did he do? He just said, we got all these gifts, Corinthian church. I want you to know you have the gifts. Here's the gifts. Here's what they look like. Here's how they work. However, don't use them without love. You have to use them in love. For the common good of the body, you have to use them in love. So let me talk a little bit about love and explain to you that the greatest gift of all is love because you can't operate in the gifts if you don't do it with love. Then we go into 14. Strap it up and let's do it. (laughs) Pursue love. Did he not just get done with a conversation about love? He said, You need to love. Pursue love. Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's just kind of fun the way he wrote it. Pursue love, but I want you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts because remember, you're going to use those spiritual gifts in love. And then he goes one step more. But especially, that you would prophesy. I want you to love, I want you to want gifts, but I want you to want prophecy. Why would he want us to want prophecy over the other gifts? Well, he's gonna to explain to you why. For the one who speaks in a tongue, listen, does not speak to men, but to God. Why? Because nobody understands. But in his spirit, he is speaking mysteries. Break it down. I am a man, I have a body, I have a soul, I have a spirit. When I come to know Jesus Christ, my spirit is brought to life so that the Holy Spirit can dwell in me. When I speak in tongues, my spirit is speaking. Not my soul, not my body, my spirit is speaking. But no one knows what I'm saying. It's a mystery because you don't have the interpretation of what I'm saying. I'm speaking to God from spirit to spirit. Ooh, but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. What is he saying? That when you prophesy, you're a mouthpiece for God and he's going to speak in the language that the hearer needs to hear it. So you're going to speak for us in English when you prophesy. I can't prophesy over you in Chinese. Why? Because I don't speak Chinese. But if I did speak Chinese and I prophesied you in Chinese, you would have no idea what I said. So I have to prophesy in the language that is known. Stay with me. You'll see it play out. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Why? Because my spirit is praying. I'm telling you, when I got tongues, the Holy Spirit was there. And I started saying, well, what are we doing here? And how does this work? And my spirit said to me, shut up. I haven't been able to pray in 30 years. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I'm having a spiritual conversation in the spiritual realm, but the one who prophesies edifies the church to be good for the common good. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Another reference that maybe everybody doesn't. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. And greater is the one who Prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Put your ego in check. If you're prophesying, he said it's greater because someone can be edified because you're speaking in their language. It's greater than tongues, but watch him caveat tongues here. It's uh, prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets that the church may receive edifying. What do you just say? You can speak in tongues and edify somebody, but it has to be interpreted. If it's not interpreted, they don't know what you say. Promises is gonna to come together. But now, brethren, I come to you speaking in tongues. If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you unless I speak either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? You see how he just used the other gifts, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, teaching. He just said, if I speak to you in your language and I prophesy, I teach, I edify, you're going to be built up. But if I come to you and speak in tongues, you're going to have no idea what I'm saying. Yet even lifeless things like a flute or a harp in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? I want to show you what he just said. I want you to say what you should say after I do this. Why did you do that? Because there is a distinct tone that came out of me that told you to prepare for battle. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, if you speak in tongues and nobody knows what you're saying, then nobody's going to do anything. But if it gets interpreted, it could be. It's a whole lot like a bugle. If it just plays, you don't say anything or do anything because you don't know what it is. But has a distinct tone that says, you say charge. So... Unless you utter by tongue of speech that is clear, in other words, they can hear it and understand it, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, right now about 6,500, and no kind is without meaning. All languages have a meaning. It'll mean something in a minute. If you do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who is a barbarian and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Now, the easier word for you and I to translate is foreigner. If you're speaking in a tongue and I don't know what you're saying, you're a foreigner to me. I know you're speaking a language, but I have no idea what that language is. So you're a foreigner to me. I don't understand what you're saying. If I spoke to you in a tongue, you wouldn't understand what I was saying. I'd be a foreigner to you. So also, you are zealous of spiritual gifts. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. What did he just say? Listen, don't get hung up in tongues. Prophecy. Prophesy over people. Let God use your voice to edify someone, to build them up, to console them. Therefore, let the one who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, Paul says. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is he saying? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm praying in a tongue. I'm having a spiritual conversation, but my mind is unfruitful. I can't figure out what I'm saying. What is the outcome then? I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'll pray with my mind, and I'll also sing in the Spirit and sing with my mind. What is Paul saying? He's saying, when I pray in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying, but I know there's a spiritual conversation going on. I know it's important, but this is what I'm going to do. I often have to engage here. So I'm going to pray in my mind, and I'm going to pray in the Spirit. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, if you bless with tongues only, how will the one who fills the place of the, watch this, ungifted say amen at your giving thanks says he does not know what you're saying. Here's what he just said. If I'm with you, Mark, and I begin praying in tongues and you're sitting there with me thinking, well, I guess when he's done, uh, I'll know uh, to say amen because he finished. But if he says something great in thankfulness to God, I can't say amen because I don't know what he's saying. So he's saying, if you're with someone and you're praying in a tongue, they're not gonna know when to say amen. Did you notice it said the ungifted? What did you just say? If you're with a person that doesn't interpret tongues, then they're not gonna know when to say amen. They don't have the gift to interpret you. 17, some of you are getting tied up, but just stay calm. For if you're giving thanks well enough, the other person isn't edified. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than you all. Why did he have to say more than you all? I don't know. But everything is about to change. Everything in this chapter is about to shift gears. And because we don't recognize the shift in gears, we have denominations and fights over tongues. Let me show you where it is. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all. 19. However, in the church, I don't know if you know what just happened, but what he said was, everything up to this point was me talking to you about me speaking in tongues with someone else, praying in tongues, singing in tongues. These are all things I do. However, There's a little bit of caveat rules that change in the church. When you come together as a church, watch this. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind in English is how we would say it so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. What is he saying? When I get into the church body, I could stand up here and rip off an hour and a half of tongues and you'd go home saying, I got nothing out of that. But I could come here and say, God loves you so dearly and let you contemplate that for a moment. And you would go home thinking, I don't ever give him enough honor for how much he loves me. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Here's what he's saying. Think through what I'm saying. Don't take this in an immature way. Think this through. And I'll show you what I mean. In the law, it's written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, even so they will not listen to you. You might see that's in capital, says the Lord. We're talking about the descendants of Ephraim. Don't have time to go into that today. Not going to change what I'm going to teach, so I'm going to move on to 22. So then, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. And prophecy is a sign not to the unbelievers, but to those who believe. Is that confusing or what? What is he saying? Listen to me. If you understand that prophecy is the voice of God coming through someone, you have to be a believer to hear it. I'll go over here and say it if you believe that prophecy is the voice of God coming through someone, then you would have to be a believer to say, that's God. That's what he's saying. That prophecy is for the believer. Why? The unbeliever doesn't believe in God. So why would he care what God has to say? Why would he give a listen to what God has to say? But he says tongues is for the unbeliever. Why? Because something is being said and something is being interpreted. There's a sign. There's something going on there. We'll get into that more in a minute. Therefore, here it is, if the whole church assembles together, what did we say in verse 19? However, in the church, now he comes down here to verse 25 and he says, therefore, therefore, If the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues. Oh, this is so important. This is so important. And ungifted men or unbelievers entered, will they not say you're mad? I've seen this over and over. And it's Christian zealousness and it's charismatic tradition and it's wrong. What did he just say? If we all decide, hey guys, it's our moment, let's speak in tongues. And we all just start ripping out in tongues and we're just having the greatest time talking in this prayer language and going, and somebody walks in who is not gifted, cannot interpret, so has no idea what you're saying, or they come in and they're an unbeliever, they're gonna say, what in the world is this? There's 250 people and they're just ripping out in all different kind of languages. I don't know what's going on, but they really seem to be enjoying it. But since I'm not a part of it, I'm out of here. But watch his instruction because it'll make sense to you now. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all and he's count by, called into a ball. If you're talking in English about the mighty works of God, if you're speaking words of wisdom, words of knowledge over someone who's an unbeliever, they're like, what in the world? You just told me I have a kidney problem and nobody knows I have a kidney problem. the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So he'll fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. 26, what's the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for the building up of the body. Let everything be done for the building up of the body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, It should be by two or three at the most and each in turn and one must interpret. Why? Why? Because we just said if everybody is standing up and speaking in tongues, everybody thinks we're crazy. But if someone comes in here and someone over here stands up and speaks in tongues and someone over here says he just said that God wants to bless this church in a way we've never been blessed before and something's about to happen and somebody's going to get healed. Then the person who came in said, oh, I get it. He spoke a language I don't know, and he just interpreted it. This is why he says in the church setting, if there's tongues, let it be interpreted. Those two gifts go together. It's tongues and interpretation. Some can interpret their own. Some need to be interpreted by someone else. But that's why he's saying, can we do that one at a time so that we can recognize something just got said, and now we know what got said. But if there is no interpretation, I'm about to blow your mind. You're going to write me an email, but come on. But if there is no interpretation, listen, I have heard this so many times, even at Revive, I'm leaving your church. Really, why? Because I heard someone speaking in tongues during worship and nobody was interpreting, so you're an unbiblical church. Bye-bye. Here's why we say bye-bye. If there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let me make it clear. During worship, someone may be speaking to God in tongues, but they are not speaking to the church. They are edifying themselves. They are building themselves up. They're speaking in the spiritual realm. It was never meant for interpretation. You pray in your closet in tongues. You sing in tongues in your car. You can do those in a worship service too. But if somebody stands up and says, I've got a word in tongues and rips something out and there's no interpretation, you know what that verse just said? Hey, thank you. Why don't you go ahead and sit down and continue that prayer with God. Amen. That's not meant for the church. Let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to one and another is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. It's a beautiful accountability system when you're the voice piece for God. And if you have too big of an ego to prophesy without somebody checking you, then you need to question your prophesying. Prophets have to be humble. Prophets have to recognize, I'm gonna say this and there needs to be a confirmation. Someone else needs to agree this is coming from the Lord because I'm about to drop a bomb and it needs to be a God bomb, not a Todd bomb. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, but they're subject to themselves just as the law also says. 34. I ain't scared. (laughs) The women are to keep themselves silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law says also. If they desire to learn anything, Let them ask their own husband at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. This is what I want to say about that today. Praise God, I'm talking about gifts and not women in the church. 36. What's, oh. (laughs) Let me just say this. It takes more than those two verses to preach on women in the church. And we're not doing that today. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth or is it come only to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. what he say? If you're actually a prophet, if you're actually spiritual, you understand what I'm saying. But if anyone doesn't recognize this and he's not recognized as a prophet or a spiritual person because he doesn't understand what the Lord's saying. 39, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things need to be done properly in an orderly manner. Two things and I'll be done. Who's the audience of this letter? The church. Not the apostles, not the original disciples, the church. Paul is instructing the church on the proper use of gifts. Why would Paul instruct the church on the proper use of gifts if they were going away after the apostles died? Why would he do that? Why would he need you to understand how to use that gift if you were only going to be able to use it until 95 when John died? Because they're for today because we're supposed to be using them. And then finally, but all things must be done properly in an orderly manner. This is where we have a gray area that is difficult because for so many it's used as a club. It's used as a club. What do I mean by that? Oh, you can't speak in tongues in here because we can't hear you and you're over there yelling and it's not right. and It's not proper. And we didn't give you authority. We didn't give you permission, blah, blah, blah. But on the other side, You've got the enemy who wants to come and cause distraction and problems. And yes, there are demonic tongues. So what do you do? You walk the line of decently and in order. I'm going to tell you charismatic something that, man, if I don't get an email on this one, I'll be surprised. One of the biggest struggles I had with the charismatic movement was the yelling out of tongues during a worship service. And being told, "Oh no, no, no! You got to quiet the music down. You got to settle everybody down. If Somebody's giving something in tongues. There's going to be interpretation. That's how it works." My problem is, I never see in Scripture that tongues is the only thing done spontaneously during a service. Because we don't spontaneously rip out in teaching, and everybody has to sit and listen. We don't spontaneously uh, rip out in evangelism. We don't spontaneously rip out in any of the other gifts. So my question was, if I had to come with a revelation of Scripture to teach today, then why does a person with tongues not have to come knowing they're going to give something in tongues today? Why wouldn't they come and say, I have something, but it's in tongues. Great. Let's get you up on stage, give you a mic so it can be done decently in order, and let's see if there's an interpretation because it could be very useful for us today. That's hard for a lot of charismatics to accept because it's the way you've always done it. Unfortunately, I didn't do it that way, so then I needed an answer as to why it's done that way and nothing else is done that way. Why don't we spontaneously sing songs? Why don't we spontaneously preach? Why don't we spontaneously pray? Wait, everybody stop. Somebody over here is praying out loud. We need to let him pray. Because it's decently in an order, and we understand tongues is real, and we understand tongues is useful, and it is the voice of God when it's interpreted. So if there are tongues to be spoken, let's do it. But let's do it in a way that is decently in order. Let me know you're going to do it. We'll let you do it. Then we'll ask for an interpretation. If there's not an interpretation, we'll say thank you for your prayer. Why don't you sit down now? Here's what I'm saying. Some of you got baptized in the Spirit this week, and you're going to begin speaking in tongues. I know that. Some of you already have. And Paul just says, man, pray. Pray in tongues. Talk to the Father in tongues. Recognize this is a Spirit-to-Spirit conversation. If he calls you to do something in church, it'll happen. Don't worry about that. Spirit will take care of it. But scripture-wise, it's for the church. I didn't start praying in tongues until eight years ago. I knew it was there. I just thought I was one of those guys that didn't have it. And then it came. And then I found the value of it. Uh, For those of you who speak in tongues, and we're not a private club. We're not an elite group. Some people aren't given tongues. Okay. But I can pray in tongues for half hour and the burdens go away. The things drop off, the cares, the concerns, they go away. Why? Because my spirit is edifying and it's building me up and it's saying, hey, I got you.
0: Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at Now for some very exciting news. Pastor Todd's latest book has just been released. It's called Missing Pieces. Have you ever asked yourself, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, why do I still do the things I don't want to do? Pastor Todd addresses this and many more important questions that most of us have pondered for years. Pastor Todd fills in the missing pieces that we have wondered about, and when those pieces are understood and put in place, the bigger picture becomes more clear. This new book is available now on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by Revived Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue in Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe? right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.